Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. say welcome and we're so glad that you're here with us today and uh, we challenge all of our new people to come at least three weeks in a row because it takes a couple of weeks in a row to determine whether or not a place is a right fit for you and so we make this challenge to challenge you to come three weeks in a row we'll be praying with you and uh, after three weeks if um, you believe that God is leading you to make Vertical Life Church home we will celebrate we'll high five and uh, we'll just be so excited and so if you've uh, made your three weeks and, and you're still here, we say welcome home, y'all. Welcome home. We love it. It's so awesome. So today we're going to cover a really familiar passage of Scripture. But before we get into it, just have a question. Like, aren't inheritances grand? Like, I know the Bible talks about not, like, pursuing earthly gain and, and earthly wealth. I think uh, in the Bible somewhere it says the more money we come across, the more problems we see. Or that was Puff Daddy. I can't remember which one. It's probably Puff Daddy. Um, but uh, it, it's true. Like the, it, Solomon in the book of Proverbs, he talks about not, not pursuing um, gain and wealth. Jesus talks about not making that the focus of your life. But Solomon also, the richest man to ever live, the wisest man to ever live, he said that it's a godly thing for a, uh, a man or a family to leave an inheritance, not just to the children, but also to the grandchildren. That there's a righteous thing for, for a person to build their wealth so that they can leave the next generation off a little better than the generation before. It's actually a righteous endeavor. When my, uh, my wife and I were first married, early married, I was always thinking about retirement, retirement. Like, how am I supposed to... Uh, provide on a minimum wage job because that's all I was working back then. It was these minimum wages. You guys remember five fifteen an hour? Anybody remember that? What's this fifteen dollars an hour garbage? I think you should start at five fifteen, just like I did, and work your way up. Amen. Amen. We'll kill inflation right there. Five fifteen an hour. But I just remember it being on my heart, especially as we were starting a family. Man, we gotta we gotta start saving. We gotta start putting money aside for retirement. We could never do it. For years and years, I was like, man, it's, I'm just, we're getting older, it's getting longer, you know, we need to start this retirement fund. And we could never make it happen until just a few years ago. We finally got to a place where we could start a retirement fund, we're putting money aside. And now the, the prayer is not to start a retirement, it's to have enough retirement so that when we're old and crusty, we have something to live on. And then hopefully, we'll have something to leave our children and even our grandchildren, that we could set them up in their lives uh, to be a little bit better than uh, maybe we had it when we uh, started in our lives. Now, have you ever been in a, a financial bind where it's like you just can't seem to get ahead? More bills are rolling in than, than paychecks. And in the back of your mind, you wonder, do I have any well-to-do relatives that might be close to expiration? I mean, like, you don't really wish them harm, right? You don't, you don't want any evil or bad to come their way. But you just kind of wonder, God, like, do we have anybody out there that might be close to, you might just 
upgrade them to first class, you know, and and it can help me all, along a little bit. I mean, am I the only sinner in here, or, or you know, can I get a witness? Amen. All right, you don't you don't wish them any harm, but when you're desperate, desperate times call for desperate measures, right? We 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 get desperate. We start thinking and feeling all sorts of ways, and 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 we just think, you know, if someone could just leave us a little bit of money, if someone could help us out in our flesh, we think that would solve all of our problems. What would you think if you had some kids, or maybe grandkids, and they came up to you, they looked you dead in your eye, and you said, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait until you die. I want it now. You know, if, if one of my kids or one of my grandkids came up to me and said, you know, I, I don't want to wait, I want it now, you know, that has to come from a pretty entitled, selfish, arrogant little thing. And my response to somebody that would ask me that question would be, boom, right there. You can't have an inheritance, you can have a knuckle sandwich. Right, you can have a nice warm glass and shut the heck up, you know, right there. I'm not giving you nothing. Matter of fact, I'm erasing your name from my will. You know, you little, you know. That would be pretty offensive, pretty disrespectful. But you know, Jesus tells us a story in the New Testament where this very thing happens. This very thing happens. Now, it's important to know that in biblical times, the family name was of utmost importance. The one that got to carry on the family name got to be in charge of the family. And often that went to the firstborn son. And so they would often wait until the father was on the deathbed before the children would come before him and they would receive a fatherly blessing that in the name of Yahweh God, he would bless the children. And that would often be a prophetic pronouncement of blessing on their lives. So it was a big deal to receive the father's blessing. But also at that time, they were begin to divide up the property, and the lion's share would go to the firstborn because they would be in charge of the estate from that point on. But then the rest of the kids would get a small portion of the property, and that's how they would divide up the family uh, wealth. And so Jesus is telling us this story about a second child who would come up to his father and he would make a demand of his life, or he would make a demand of his inheritance. In his essence, he goes and he tells his dad, he says, Dad, from this point on, you're pretty much dead to me. I want to live now as if you were dead today. I want everything that's coming to me. As a matter of fact, I don't even want to stay here. I want to live. I want to go out on my own. I want to do my own thing. And I don't want to hear about it. I just want you to give me what's coming to me. And I'm going to go make a life for myself. And that's exactly what the son does. We begin reading in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. And before we read, we're going to pray. Holy Spirit, we ask you, God, to speak, that you would open our hearts and minds. God, I pray that, that everyone here, Lord, I know you have specific people in mind to hear this message. I know we can all take principles and, and value from your word. But God, there are specific people you want to talk to today. So I pray, God, that especially them, but all of us would have eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind that understands, and a heart ready to receive and believe everything that you want to share. God, I pray that every defensive wall would be lowered, and God, that our hearts would be open to you, and that, Jesus, you would receive glory by what is said and done, that it would be to your honor and your name. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So beginning in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, this is the story Jesus tells. And it says, And he said, There is a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in, in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But then when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? So I will arise and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate. From this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found and they began to celebrate. But now when his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard the music and the dancing, he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And he was angry and he refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But then this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and he is found. This story is so rich with many applications. We don't have time to cover it all today, but there are two revelations I want to point out, two important things that this story refers to, two really profound moments in every person's life. The first profound moment in your life is the first time you decided to turn away from God. The first time you decided to turn away from God. Now the Bible, in the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, the story of mankind begins with mankind in the garden. And we know the story well that there was a, a serpent, there was a fruit, and there was a sin. And that sin unleashed all kinds of chaos. It released a curse of death into the world. And now every human being that has ever walked the earth has this curse upon them, has this sin nature within them, a tendency to rebel against God. Every one of us. The prophet Isaiah compares us in his book to sheep who've gone astray. We've, every one of us, at a time in our life, we've gone our own way. We've made a decision. God I want to live my own life. I want to do my own thing. I want to make my own decisions. Paul the Apostle 
in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, he says it this way. He says, we have all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's glorious standards. The word sin just means to miss the mark. What's the mark? The perfection and glory of God. We started out in his glory, but when we sinned, we missed the mark. And so now we have this nature in us that chooses to rebel against God. That's why we're prideful. That's why we're selfish. That's why we, we, we don't do what we want to do. We do the things we don't want to do, and we don't do the things we do want to do because of this nature within us. Paul says here that there is none righteous in Romans chapter 3. Not even one person. Why? Because every one of us have sinned. We've all missed the mark. So at some point in your life, maybe it be young, maybe it be older, at some point in everyone's life, we have chosen not to go God's way, but not to do what God wanted us to do. We've just decided to go our own way, just like the lost son. We turned from our heavenly father and we said, God, we want to make it on our own. We want to do our own thing. We want to go build a life without you. And now some of you may have literally had this conversation with God. Something happened in your life and you're like, man, I'm tired of doing that religious stuff. I'm tired of doing that thing. I'm going to just go live as if I'm king of my own life and I'm going to forget all this stuff. Some of you have made that decision. Some of you made a decision early on in your life and you stopped believing in God altogether. Maybe you became an atheist. Or if you didn't go full atheist, maybe you still believed in God, but you lived like an atheist, like he didn't exist. You made a choice. I'm going to live as if what God wants and desires for me doesn't matter. And beloved, this is what the son in the story did. How did he choose to live? Jesus said he spent all of his wealth, all of his inheritance on reckless living. That can also be translated as rebellious living. Everything he did was in rebellion to what his father wanted, what his father desired. Isn't it common knowledge, and if you're a parent of a teenager or older children even now, you can testify it's common knowledge that everyone comes to a season when we're young that we try to figure ourselves out. We try to figure out what do we believe, what do we think is important, what matters to us, and often that comes with a season of rebellion. Can I get a witness? Anybody? Where we're like, yeah, I know my parents don't want me to do that, but my friends and I want to go do this. I know I probably shouldn't, but, you know, do they really know what they're talking about? I think I know more. Dad, you're over the top, Dad. Come on, Mom. We have those moments. We rebel against their expectations, their rules, the things that we knew concrete growing up. And that's exactly what this young man did. He decided to go the other way. It's kind of like Darth Vader in Star Wars. He got tired of the light side. He wanted to go try out the dark side. He wanted to go see if there was something in the dark side that was better or, or would be more profitable for him. And this young son not only chose the dark side, chose a different life. He found himself on hard times. And the people he thought would have his back that were yucking it up, that were living it up with him when he had all of his money and he had all this to spend, they were nowhere to be found when he was down and out. He found himself homeless, broke, unemployed, and scrounging for something to keep him from starving to death. 
so much so he was slopping pigs. And what they ate seemed tasty to him. I don't know if you've been around a pig farm. I've never been to one, but you can smell those things for 20 miles. And in the nation of Israel, pigs were one of the most unclean animals. So the fact that he was even working in this pig farm was a big negative for him. It was like the lowest place. And then to think about eating what they were eating, this was something psychologically, this was his lowest point. You don't get worse than this. And if you notice that he went to a far country. He went as far away from home, far away from where he should have been. He went far away from what he knew. He was far away and living opposite to the way he had been raised. What was bringing blessing into his life. He lost everything he had. He even lost his inheritance. You think about the decisions he made. He got his inheritance early and he squandered it all. He lost all the blessing and he was left with absolutely nothing. He thought all these things were going to make him happy. But in the end, he even lost his freedom. He sold himself to be a slave, to be a servant. Beloved, often the choices we make have unintended consequences. And one of the most difficult things that we wrestle with in life are the consequences to our decisions. Choices have consequences. And he became a slave to his circumstances. Paul the Apostle says that we become a slave to whatever has authority over us or power over us. And he was a slave to his circumstances. He couldn't change his circumstances because his decisions led him there. Away from his family, his home, his father, and now losing everything. And what I think is even more tragic is he even lost the inheritance he could have had. If he had just stayed at home, stayed faithful, grew to be more mature, more wise, let his father continue to work the land, the land could have increased, the money could have increased, there could have been greater blessing, he could have been ready for the responsibility when he got his inheritance and had been ready to have a family where he wouldn't be alone and he wouldn't uh, be going through these things all by himself. But no, he squandered all of those things. And you see, that's the thing about decisions. They come with consequences. And see, even though God has the power to redeem, God can work all things together for our good, often our decisions that pull us away from God cause us to lose out on the best that God has for us. The best that God could provide us. This son could have had a more wealthy inheritance if he had stayed, greater profits, but he gave all of that up. And now everything that's left belongs to someone else. And I think truthfully, if we were to look back on our own lives, and, and I can do this even in my own life, we look back on our years of rebellion, the decisions that we made, where we told God to talk to the hand, that we didn't want to hear it, that we weren't interested, we tried to live our own way, we can see all the brokenness we've experienced and now all the pain we carry because of it. When we thought we were smart, that we were wise, we turned out it was really a life of foolishness. Which is why as parents, we try to protect our kids from the things that we did when we were younger. Amen? Why? Because we recognize the foolish nature of those things. We recognize the consequences to those choices and those decisions. 
So when we look back and we're like, no, I don't, I don't want that for my kids. I don't want them to follow the same path that I was going to do the same things. What we, what we see, what we're saying when we see that is we're saying if we had made different decisions, our lives could have turned out differently. Imagine if we had followed God and been faithful the entire time. How different our lives could have been. Does God redeem? Does God restore? Does God heal? Absolutely, he does. But he also gives us expectations, rules, and guide, guiding principles to keep us from squandering the inheritance he desires to give us. His desire isn't good, it's best. Beloved, every one of us have baggage. Every one of us have made mistakes. Every one of us have turned our backs on God one time or another. We found ourselves in that low place like eating with pigs. But there's another profound moment we see in this story. Not just the day we turn from God, but the significance of the day you choose or you chose to return to God, to come back to Him. So maybe you're here today and you're still running from God. Maybe you're here just because someone invited you or, or you don't really know why you're here. But the thought of coming to God and turning to God and maybe placing your faith and trust in Christ, that brings up some negative feelings because you feel guilty of the things that you've done and you feel like that if you came to God, that he wouldn't accept you because of the guilt and shame that you bear on your life. That if you tried to come back to him, he wouldn't accept you. If that's you here today, beloved, just hang on because the story's for you. This story is for you. What each of us have experienced in our lives, if, if you've had your season of rebellion, you've had your season of brokenness, and you've repented and turned and come back to God, we have a shared experience. And that is an experience with the unconditional love of Almighty God. We have a shared experience. So even though there are many things we wish we could have changed and we could point to in our lives, like the older brother who comes back to the party and he's like, why are you celebrating this guy? Don't you know what he's done? Don't you know what my brother did? Don't you know how messed up he is? I can't believe he would have done that. I can't believe he would have betrayed us that way. I will never forgive him. Don't, don't we have people in our lives that try to make us never forget what we've done? Even religious people. That if you don't look like them, if you don't act like them, you don't know all the same verses they do, your life isn't squeaky clean like theirs, you're never acceptable to them. We, we've got things in our lives, we have people in our lives that like to remind us of our guilt and our shame, like this older son. All the condemnation that can come our way, even the stuff that we tell ourselves because of not being able to forgive ourselves of what we've done. We feel unworthy and unacceptable. But there's two things I see in his return. The first is that the moment the boy made the decision to come back to his father's house, in his mind he was thinking he would be a servant. Like, I've messed up. I've lost my place. The, the best I could hope for is to be a servant in my father's house. I'll just try to earn my way back to the father's good graces. And that's often what we do. When we're trying to have a change of heart, we're like, you know what? I, I've done all this against God. I'll just serve him the rest of my life. And hopefully when I stand before him, I will have done enough to make him accept me and to love me. That's religion. What we see in the father is the moment the son comes over the hill. 
His father sees him. Why? Because his father's always been watching for his son's return. The Lord our God has always been waiting for you to make the decision to come back to him. He's been eagerly anticipating the day he sees you on approach. And what happens in this moment is the son doesn't have time to get to the father because the father sprints to go meet the son. God has been waiting for you to return the entire time. He's been waiting for you to realize that life with the pigs is nothing compared to life with the father. Now we understand it's better to be a servant in the father's house than a slave in the world. But God is not interested in hiring servants and slaves. When he gets to the father, he starts going through his plan. You know, you know when we try to like make things right? Like if you ever have a fight with your spouse or maybe a coworker, and you know it's kind of your fault, don't you kind of like pre-organize a plan on how you're going to make up in your mind? Like, oh man, I, okay, here's what I'm going to say and here's how it's going to go. I, re- I remember even like trying to propose to my wife, uh, you know, just coming up with that elaborate plan, okay, we're, we're going to go, we're going to go to Frankenmuth, that I've, I've rented, the, we're going to rent this horse-drawn carriage, I've got the ring, she has no idea I bought this ring, when, when we get there, we're going to be in the carriage, I'm going to drop down on my knee, and I had this whole big thing that I was going to say. It was going to be awesome. It's going to be romantic. So we get to that moment, and I'm sitting there, and I'm shaking. And I'm thinking about, okay, what, 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 what was I going to say? I don't know what to say. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to go for it. I'm like, hey, babe. And she's like, yeah. I was like, I love you. She's like, I love you too. I was like, no, I love you a lot. She's like, I love you a lot, too. And I was like, eh. Totally blew it. But good news is she hyperventilated and doesn't remember a thing. So we're safe. So that didn't go according to plan. But often we pre-plan these, these moments where we're like, okay, here's what's going to happen, and I'm going to say this, and this is what he's doing, because he's trying to figure out how do I get back in good with my father. I have royally messed this up. And if I don't do this just right, he's not going to accept me. But what we see is that as he's going through the list, his father doesn't even care about what he says. He doesn't even address him. He turns to the servant and says, go get not just a robe, the best robe. Go get a ring and put it on his finger. Because my son that was dead is alive again. The father never stopped looking at his son as a son. It didn't matter how bad he messed up, how, how offensive he was. It doesn't matter what he did with his life. The father's only interest is that his child was now home. He was back again. The money didn't matter. The property didn't matter. The mistakes didn't matter. What mattered is that he had his son again. When you come to the father, he will embrace you as his child. A child come back from the dead. And what's amazing is this story, the father's so overwhelmed, is he starts putting these clothing items on his son. You know, his son had to be stinky. He'd been homeless. He'd been slopping pigs. You know, he had nothing, so he couldn't change his clothes. Probably couldn't afford a shower. You know, he was probably smelly and gross. But what does his father do? He puts a robe to cover his stink. He puts a robe on him. To cover up the grime, 
in all the evidence of his life. He puts the ring on his finger. And you know, Paul says something very similar to us in a way when we accept Christ as our personal Savior, when we begin a relationship with God, when we give our lives to him. In Galatians 3.27, he says, And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. When you turn to Christ and you give him your heart and life, you say, God, I've messed up. I've made mistakes. Man, if you'd have me, I'd be your servant. I just, I just want to be in the house. The father says, no, I don't, I'm not hiring servants, but I am adopting sons. But God, I've got all this grime. Look, look at all the stuff I've done. Look at all my mistakes, everything I've done. Look at all the, the stuff I'm struggling with. Look at all the grime on my life, all, all the, the stains of pain and suffering and mistakes and, and all the things that I've done in my life. Look at it, and he's like, it's okay, I got you. Let me cover that up with the glory of Jesus Christ. We put on Christ like a new robe. So you know what that means? It means when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your mistakes. He doesn't see your failings, your shortcomings, your weaknesses. What does he see? He sees the glory of the Son of God for all time. And just as the Father throws a celebration for the Son who returns, we know that God himself throws a party in heaven for everyone who would trust in Christ. Imagine God throwing a party in heaven. All the angels of glory singing, shouting, praising every believer in Christ that has gone on before, the church in glory celebrating and beaming with joy. And you are the subject of the celebration. Wow. Wow. You see, the reason why they can do that is because when we place our faith and trust in Christ, we become born again. The Spirit of God does something spiritually in us. He makes us a new creation. And when we're baptized, we go down into the water that symbolizes being buried with Christ in his death, which conquered sin. When we come out of the water, that symbolizes being raised with Christ in the power of his resurrection to live a new life. So we're uniting ourselves with the work of Christ on the cross. As we put on Christ like new clothes, the Father wraps us in his glory. And the Lord celebrates our decision that now one who was lost to him because of sin is now united with him forever because of his son. Now, you may have strayed in your life. You may have wandered. But the Lord is ever vigilant, eagerly watching as he waits for you to decide to come back to him. Maybe you're here today and you're still running. The question I have for you is, are you tired? Are you tired of running? Are you tired of trying to make it on your own, handle your own problems, you know, you might have every toy, every luxury in the world, but deep 
in your heart is still a gaping hole that you can't fill. You can't fill it with a relationship. You can't fill it with success. You can't fill it. Why? Because it's the size of God, and only God can fill that hole. God created you to have a relationship with him. And when we're living apart from him, we live disconnected to the source of joy and peace and hope and unconditional love. And what's amazing is the minute we choose to place our faith and trust in Christ, he fills that hole with himself. We become united together. We become part of a new family. And that's really what the church is. It's not a place to be religious. It's a family to celebrate with. And we celebrate every new family member we get to adopt into the family. It's a beautiful thing. The church is not about paying money or doing something religious. It's about simply being who you are, a son or a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's bow for prayer as we go into a time of response for just a few moments. What is amazing to me, for someone who has done much against God and living a selfish, self-centered life, that God would still be watching for me, waiting for me to come home. I don't know a relationship like that. I don't know a relationship that exists that says, I don't care what you've done, I don't care who you are, I just care about you. And I want you home. I want you in the family. I want to be close with you. I want to be connected to you. I want to know your heart, and I want you to know my heart. I want you to know my love for you. Today, beloved, if that's you, if you know you need a relationship with God, that you're tired of running, you're tired of living your own life, you're tired of being depressed and, and feeling like there's no hope in the world, that nothing good can ever come your way, that you're just one mistake after another, if you're tired of living that kind of life with nothing that satisfies you, I'm encouraging you today to give Jesus a chance. To give him your heart. Trust him today with your life. Paul writes in the book of Romans that if you believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead and you confess him with your mouth as your Lord and Savior, that you will be saved. It takes a decision. It takes a moment to say, God, I'm tired of living my own life and being the God of my own life. Today, you get to be my king. You get to be my Lord. I'm trusting in you, Jesus. And the word of God says when you make that decision, the spirit of the living God will come live in you. And you will feel it. You'll feel it. You'll be different. You won't be perfect, but you'll be different. I was leaving work one day. And I was working at a church, and this guy came up looking for our clothing closet. His pants were ripped off, his legs barely hanging on. Looked disheveled like he just woke up out of a dumpster. Obvious addiction issues. And unfortunately, the clothing closet was closed, but there was snow on the ground, and I knew he'd walked for some way to get here, so I offered to give him a ride home. And he accepted, and so I, we get in the car, and I start taking him home a few miles down the road. 
And we start talking about Jesus, and we start talking about religion. He had different questions, and I was answering the questions as best as I could. We get to his driveway, and we park, and I could just sense in my heart that, that he wanted to have a relationship with Jesus, that, that he would accept Jesus if I asked him. And so I just said, hey, man, has there ever been a time in your life where you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, where you asked him to forgive you of your sins and be your Lord and Savior? And, and he's like, no, there never has. I was like, well, do you want to? Do you want to know that you're a child of God, that you, if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven, that you'd have a relationship with Almighty God? And he said, yeah, I would. And so we prayed right there in the car, and I'll never forget it. Because as soon as we got done praying, he looked at me and he said, you can really feel it, can't you? You can really feel it. And I was like, yeah, you can. What just happened? I don't know, but it was awesome. But you can. I didn't see him again. And the last report I heard was a few weeks later when his cousin called and said he had died of a drug overdose. Was he perfect? No. But he was the Lord's. And though his circumstances took his life, the enemy couldn't take his soul. And he is healed. He is restored. And he's living anew every day. And if you're here today, beloved, and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you've never invited him into your life, I'm going to invite you right now to make that decision. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, I'm going to just lead you in a prayer. There's nothing magic in these words, but if your heart is true, you believe this with your heart, and you say it to the Lord as if he was standing before you, and you mean it, that God will honor his word, and he will come into your life, and you will feel it. It will be a change. There will be something different. And we'll welcome you as new blood in our family. So right now, where you are, that's who's here today. To the Lord, say, Heavenly Father, thank you for never rejecting me and for sending Jesus to pay for my sins on the cross. I believe in his death, and I believe you raised him from the dead. And I believe that today you're going to give me everlasting life because I am making him my Lord, and my Savior. Please forgive me of all my sins. And today, I give you my heart. You get to be king of my life, now and forever. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Again, with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, if you're here today, and you prayed that sincerely from your heart, maybe for the very first time, and you accepted Christ into your life. I'm not going to point you out, embarrass you, or, or make you do anything ridiculous. I just want to pray for you. I want to pray a blessing on your life. If that's you here today, would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Joey, that was me. I prayed today. I accepted Christ in my life. I accepted Jesus as my Savior today. Alright. Well, beloved, the Bible also says that those who accept Christ as their Savior... The first step of obedience is baptism, where we put on the robe of Christ. We go into the water, uniting in his death, and we come out of the water, uniting with his resurrection. 
If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, but you've not been baptized, then I'm going to ask you to commit today and make that decision today. In just a minute, we're going to we're going to meet, we're going to celebrate, we're going to baptize. If you didn't sign up, but you know you need to be baptized, then I'm going to encourage you to come and be baptized today. Don't put it off. There will be a joyous and momentous occasion in your life today. Lord God, I just thank you for all who are here. I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace and your unconditional love. I thank you for those that are wrestling even now with a decision to trust in you, to give you their heart and lives. God, I just pray that even if they miss the prayer, they would pray their own prayer to you right now, God, that they wouldn't miss their opportunity. And I just pray for all here, God, who have called on you, who are saved and, and who have begun a relationship with you at one point in their life, God, that all the guilt and shame of past mistakes would be broken off right now, God. They'd see themselves anew and afresh according to the way you see them as holy and clean without spot or wrinkle, God, where there's no condemnation, there is no shame that they need to wear because you put it on Christ on the cross. And now all things that are past are gone, and behold, all things have become new. And Holy Spirit, I just thank you for the next few moments as we open for a time of prayer for those that have needs and burdens in their life. I pray, God, that you would minister, that you would heal, that you would restore, that you would encourage. You would do the work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand up for just a few moments as Tony leads us in a song. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward. If you have a need in your life, you maybe you're dealing with an illness or sickness and you would like prayer, we will pray for you. We believe in the power of God to heal. If there's something going on in your life, you'd like to partner up in prayer. If you'd just like to kneel down at the chairs and pray before the Lord. We believe that God's presence is here. And for the next few moments, we're going to spend time ministering to one another. And then we'll be dismissed. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you.